What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience, the podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am super excited to have two really awesome women on our show today. Uh, like-minded individuals that work hard, train hard, and have amazing stories. You've heard about both of them in our previous podcast uh, due to their significant others, but their stories are just as remarkable and amazing. So welcome to the show, Brooke and Caitlin. Hey, thank you guys for having us. Thanks for being here. So let's start with our backstory. Uh, Brooke, why don't we start with you? Yeah, so I grew up in Northwest Georgia. I had a pretty normal childhood, mom, dad, nothing like traumatic on the outside. Um, But I had a lot of turmoil in my home and just, I was just an anxious kid. So fast forward through my childhood, nothing really crazy, significant happened. Um, But when I was 11 or 12, I started drinking. I started um, stealing my dad's whiskey and putting it beside my bed. And like to, to calm down at night before I went to sleep, I would get drunk. Oh, wow. And then that went to when I was, I think, 13 or 14, I got my wisdom teeth out. And that was my introduction to um, Percocet and opiates. And then that's kind of where my recovery addiction story starts. Um, From there, it was just ups and downs. I think I was fully addicted, like would have withdrawals by 17, 16. Wow. That's young. Yeah. Yeah, it is young. And that's about the time I met my husband that has been on this show, Chad. And so we started dating. He said... I I fell in love with him head over heels. Like he, he was the only thing in my story that made me drop the drugs. He is the only thing that made me say, okay, I'm going to get clean. Um, but that comes later. So we went and he decided he wanted to be a Navy SEAL and I decided I was going to follow him wherever he went. So my story kind of, I don't know, it's really, it's really, it's a a lot of ups and downs. We moved to San Diego and I got sober there. And then we came back to Georgia and we broke up. And as soon as we broke up, I had been sober for almost a year because I didn't have a dealer in San Diego. Right, right, right. I mean, that's just is what it is. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so as sober, as, <laughs> take away the yeah, source. Yeah, yeah, and that was another thing. Like I knew when I was moving out there to be with him, that I was going to become sober. Did he know you were addicted at that point? Did he have any idea? He, I think he did. That's kind of like a shadow of our story. It's like a really weird question for him. Um, I think my family knew I had a problem. I don't know. I, they've never answered the question. But his parents, I had stolen from them. And so they knew and they were trying to tell him, look, she has a problem. Get get away from her. You don't 
you know, and he wouldn't listen to it. And I was lying, of course, you know, I'm like, no, I don't have a problem. No, I didn't steal. So to answer your question, I think he was in denial. Yeah. Yeah. So we got home from moving. So we were leaving San Diego and he was getting stationed at SEAL Team 8 in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I was supposed to go with him, but we fought like kids. And then (laughs) he like seriously like kids. And he left me in Georgia and I had sold my truck. I had sold everything I had. I had gotten sober. So what do you think like the first thing I did when we broke up was? Use drugs. Like the first, like the first thing I was like, please God, let my dealer still be in the same house because I didn't have any phone numbers. And so that sent me, and I'm sure a lot of, I know a lot of people have this in their story. I picked up where I left off. I didn't like that year. I didn't lose any ground on my addiction or my using. And Mm -hmm. that period of my using was the most dangerous and scary. I was mixing a lot of barbiturates and opiates and Xanax and just having a lot of really near misses. Um, Do you guys say the drugs on your podcast? Yeah. Y'all try not to. No, no. Yeah. We totally talk about them. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Oh, you were you were probably just very fortunate. They didn't have fentanyl back then, dude. I think we all were. When, yeah. Yeah. Look, when fentanyl came out, I have I have several instances that I can think of because when I was in it, what was big was Roxy's. Yeah. Thirties, and that's what I did. Um, and a lot of times, they would sell me these weird little things that weren't Roxy's, and they're like they're fine. And I would take them like no questions asked. Is this going to get me high? Great. So I would have been the perfect candidate for fentanyl. Perfect. true. Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, we just got lucky that we're in a different time. You know, that's all it is. Yep. Um, 100%. We see so many people coming in that literally believe that they're doing Percocet, like they're doing Roxy's. And Mm -hmm. they're... Addicted to fentanyl, overdosing, dying. Yeah, we've seen a lot of deaths, a lot of overdoses. They think they're getting oxy and it ends up being fentanyl. They didn't even know it. Um, yeah. We, they they call fortunate. them super thirties here. Super Do they 30s? really? Yeah, because I uh, yeah, I have done one before and it I was like, that was not a thirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the time you're like, that was are... a super thirty. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's that's super 30s man yeah yeah no that's crazy we just that just reinforces how lucky i got to be out of the game at that point like um but to keep going so when i was at home chad had left me i was heartbroken and back using and there's a lot of stuff in that time frame it was almost two years Mm -hmm. that was the worst of my using that was like me acquiring sugar daddies and going out and just like just really dangerous dumb stuff right right. um stealing just the normal i don't see any reason to go into detail of that yeah um but unless you guys want me to but hey it's your story whatever you feel comfortable sharing yeah i mean that's pretty much the gist of it i was a waitress obviously fast cash every evening um and 
yeah, I just had multiple sugar daddies that I would push to the limit before I had to have sex with them and hope they didn't kill me. And then when I realized that, like, that string was done and they were either going to, I was either going to have to have sex with them or they were going to quit giving me money, I would just ghost them. Yeah. And so I was just in a perpetual cycle of that and restaurant work and stealing. Um, and then... I was visiting and hooking up with my now husband, Chad, like when he would come back to visit from the military, we would hook up, but we would act like we didn't like each other. We would be like, <laughs> you just, you're just really good at sex. That's the only reason. Like we both played it off, even yeah, yeah, though we yeah. were both still, yeah. <laughs> Playing hard to so, get. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, and at that point he didn't have any indication of my using. And so I went up to visit one time to Virginia and I got really sick and it actually wasn't related to drugs. I don't know what it was, but I had a bunch of Suboxone, um, you know, the little, uh, their little strips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had those in my wallet. And when I went to the hospital, Chad was looking for my ID and he found those. Uh-oh. And of course he did a Google and was like, what the hell, what are you doing? And when we got back, somebody texted me and said, do you got any rocks? And I was like, oh, because I had told him, I was like, no, I'm, I just, I just was trying to weasel my way out of it. You know, like, I'm not addicted. I'm not using, I have those for, I forgot what excuse I used. But so he knew at that point that I was tied in with drugs, but he didn't know what was going on. So I left. A few months later, I went to visit again. I don't know why he didn't kick me to the curb at that point. That's beyond me. Um, and when I went to visit, he asked me to move in. And then I had a decision to make. Because if I moved to Virginia, I was going to start clean like when I moved to San Diego. I was going to not have a dealer, not have a connection. And I ended up deciding to do it. And I was there for, I think, a few weeks. And I used Suboxone to kind of taper. And I still had to withdraw. And he was a SEAL at the time, so he was gone all the freaking time. He was never home. And I didn't know a soul. So I don't know where the idea came from, but I started doctor shopping. I don't, I just wasn't done. Yeah. Uh, and you were alone. So I was absolutely alone. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of that took me through 2012 to 2014 and i started again i started mixing opiates xanax i think i was taking like percocet tramadol um klonopin and xanax all at the same time and I ended up like having a few instances where I went to bed and I didn't wake up for like almost 48 hours Oh man. or I didn't remember. Like I was, I never moved out of the bed Wow. and that scared me enough to be like, Oh crap. Like I, you know, and it's funny. The only thing that really pushed me to want to stay alive was Chad and me had gotten this dog and I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. He, before he left, he was like, we're going to get you a dog so you have someone to be with. Yeah. And those couple times that I, I guess OD'd is what it was. 
she had like craft all over the place and she was just pathetic. And I was, I felt so guilty about not taking care of the dog. Mm -hmm. Like that was my whole reason for like feeling really anything. Cause I don't think I would have felt any remorse or guilt about it. Otherwise I would have just continued. And it's so stupid. It's not stupid. It's just strange that the dog was a big catalyst to push me. Cause I loved her so much. She yeah. was my only person. And I was like, if I don't get clean, I can't keep this dog and I can't be a wife and I can't, you know? And so on my birthday on, it was in 2012. No, it was in 2014. Me and Chad had walked to the beach like we usually do in the evenings. And I don't remember my exact words, but I just remember saying like, I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, I'm addicted to drugs. This is not what I want. I, I've tried to quit. I tried to quit, I'm sure, y'all, like a million times. Mm -hmm. I would like ration out my pills. I bought one of those locked piggy bank things that went <laughs> With off. With a timer. You know, <laughs> yes, man. Like I did everything to try to quit. And of course, like it never worked. Um, so I told him I had a drug problem. And neither of us knew what to do. We were just like, okay, this is good, but what now? Yeah, now what? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up, I had to do detox twice because the first time, as soon as I got into withdrawals, I was like, hell no, I can't do this. Yeah. I can't. I, I will die. Um, and the second round of detox, and then I went to a rehab in Virginia called Williamsburg Place. That was freaking awesome for 28 days and then from then on i really struggled with abusing neurotin or gabapentin yeah yeah, yeah. they gave, yeah they gave it to me leaving rehab yeah but if you if you took enough of it you get high a little would, bit yeah man yeah. so that was a whole nother like couple months of not being able to tell people that i couldn't have that because i didn't have the strength yeah. But once I kicked that and I relapsed one more time when I came home to visit Georgia and on the way back from visiting Georgia, I had stole some pills from somebody and I took my last two in the car ride back to Virginia and something in me was just like, this is it. Like I felt so guilty for stealing from that person yeah. that I was just destroyed. And I was like, I can't, this is it. And so that was October 2015, I think. Mm. Yeah. And the, since then, I've been clean. Wow. That's yeah. great. That's like six, almost six years. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, you, yeah, you'll have six years in October. That's badass. Will I? Dude, I'm so bad about remembering the date. <laughs> I think so you will. It's totally okay. Yeah, I am the same. It'll be six years because... I'll have seven years in September, and I got clean in 2014. Yeah, yeah that's right. So you got six, Yeah, man. That's crazy. Oh, man. That's crazy. When you quit going to N.A., I started forgetting. Like, when I was going to N.A., I was, like, on point. Like, I'm I'm nine, 91 and three hours. Yeah, you know, 41 42 minutes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm like, same. We, yeah. we got sober with a different modality and we never counted the days or times. It just wasn't part of it. So and anytime people ask me, I'm like, well, I kind of was still using the first year, but then pretty much from that point, <laughs> I literally don't have a date because it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing, but you know, uh -huh. it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the first time I've told that story too. So I don't, I feel like I can improve it a lot. Later. It's all uphill from here. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, right. Seriously though, that was I mean, to like condense your story is like already a difficult task. Telling your story is super difficult because it's so emotional, like you said, with the dog. It's like you start telling it and then you're like, Oh man, like I'm starting to get the feels, like I all this stuff's coming up. But I, I, I think well, so A, I guess what I'm trying to say is it was that you did an amazing job. Yeah, you did fantastic. Thanks. That was fantastic. If if you were to improve on it, I mean, shit, that'd be that'd be hard to do. That was well done. But I did want to make one comment on the dog because that was just the the sweetest thing ever. And I think what was it what it was making me realize because I'm I don't I wouldn't say I'm a new dog owner. But I probably got a dog like three years ago and I was never a big dog person. But so being sober and then having this dog, it was like I could experience like unconditional love with the dog. And it sounded like that's what you had. Like you with that dog, it was just this like unconditional love and like love was like the driving force to get sober. And I just think Absolutely. that's so beautiful. Yeah. Dude, that's that's kind of like one of those things you don't really think about is how it affects others. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, you know, you're affecting your family, but then like even your animals, cause Caleb, he had a dog and, and he would talk it like, you really think about it. They stay up with you. If you staying up two or three days, they're up you know, on bed, they're up with you. And then you're like, man, that couldn't, that could not be good. Animal. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let yeah. alone yourself. <laughs> so, well, I think I mean, a lot of times them, it's yeah. easier to want to get sober for someone else or for something else yeah. than for our own selves because our, our own self-worth and uh, necessity is way lower than that. That is the one thing we'll actually care about and wake up for, try to be responsible for. So we see that Absolutely. a lot. You know, it's something else is a catalyst for the sobriety, not not this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge dog person. I have two dogs. I've had dogs for the last 15 years, and um, I could definitely imagine that being a catalyst for me, for sure. I had a cat. Mine was my cat. And when I went to <laughs> rehab the first time, uh, I told the executive director, like, I'm not coming unless I can bring my cat with me. And he's uh, like, what? Yeah, I refuse to come to rehab unless I could bring my cat. It was my baby. That cat, I would literally hitchhike with it in my jacket. He went to all the parties <laughs> with me. He, I mean, he was homeless with me. Like, this cat lived with with me. And uh, he, oh, he was okay. uh, my reason for, you know, I wouldn't go without him. And, and luckily, the executive director was like, whatever, dude, bring your cat. Okay. <laughs> if that's, that's a make coolest. or break, just bring your cat. And he yeah. came with me and he got sober with me yeah that is so freaking cool you brought your cat to rehab I man did. i did that was That's my epic. baby at the time so i totally understand your story for sure yeah was the yeah, cat we love using our animals. Animals? 
I mean, <laughs> yes, I, I was. I thought it was super cool to get him stoned when I would get stoned. I mean, this poor cat, I put him through <laughs> through heck. He was my spirit animal. Like he stayed with me a long time too. Thank gosh. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Oh man. That's awesome. Um, well, maybe, uh, Caitlin, we'll get into your story and then we'll just like powwow recovery. You guys cool with that? Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, thank <laughs> you for having me on the podcast. Of course. Um, so yeah, uh, mine, I started when I was really young too. Um, whenever, let's see. When I was in elementary school, I was always like, I uh, got bullied and I was like a bigger, heftier kid. And hefty. so I, I like really struggled. <laughs> hefty. <laughs> yeah, my, my cousin, he would tell me, you're not fat, you're just big boned. Cause I, I mean, kids <laughs> on the bus would be calling me fat. And I remember coming home one day crying about it. And that's what he told me. So I, I always try to, stay away from that but um but yeah so i struggled a lot um with you know just being ashamed and not really feeling comfortable in my own skin and then um the one thing that i did have going for me was i was pretty intelligent and um i remember you know when i was in the fourth grade i was like I seen my cousin graduate and I seen the valedictorian giving their speech. And I've made this connection now later on in my recovery, but I remember like seeing that speech and I remember seeing the whole audience. And this was when I was in the fourth grade and I seen the whole audience like laughing and then they'd start crying. And then at the end of the speech, you know, they erupted and applauded. And I just seen this person like, with so much influence over so many people. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, that's what I want. That's who I want to be. That's what I want to do. And so I told my dad and my parents that, uh, I, that's that I wanted to graduate valedictorian. So of course, you know, they, they like encouraged me to, to do the best I could in school. Well, when I was 12 years old, I went on this leadership camp and, uh, that was the first time I ever smoked weed. You know, I was in the little circle and the joint come around and I was like, well, I don't want to be the weird one. I'm already, <laughs> you know, bigger, I'm not comfortable in my own skin. I don't want to be the weird one not to be smoking. So I just went along with whatever anybody else was doing that was around me, you know, um, the company that I was hanging out with, um, we started drinking um, and then by the time I turned 15 years old, I started doing pills. Um, first it started out with, you know, with Vicodin and perks and then it gradually went higher to, to then when I was doing Roxy's and, uh, I was, yeah, when I was in high school, I was fully addicted, but somehow, you know, I justified my using through my schoolwork. I'd always had, I had this pack with my friend and I was like, as long as we're still doing good in school and we have our grades up, then it's okay. That was like my mm -hmm. rational thinking, <laughs> like my, my justification. And, um, I mean, it just it came natural to me. Like I was just book smart. I, I, and I really good at taking tests. Like I just excelled. Um, 
when I started doing the peels, you know, I started playing basketball and I started playing sports. I started losing weight. And so I, I started to feel, you know, like I came out of my shell, but I was always a leader, even though, you know, I, I considered myself, I, I was really hard on myself. I mm-hmm. felt like I was, you know, I had a lot of, uh, I was self-conscious, had st- self-esteem issues. And, um, but I'd still run for like class president, you know, I'd be the, the, um, on all kinds of honor clubs. Then I would be, um, played basketball, volleyball, played sports, then all that up until my senior year. And then I got tired of trying to, I got tired of those drug tests, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was like trying like every time we got called down for the drug test, I'd be freaking out and I'd be like, I need someone's pee. <laughs> so <laughs> I just quit. And, but the weird thing, like my parents didn't really think anything of it just because, you know, I, that was my, that was my disguise was through my, my grades and, and whatnot. And, um, so, you know, when I, I did graduate in 2009 and, and I did graduate valedictorian, nice. but yeah, the, you pulled but it the off. thing about it, I was so freaking high. I don't remember. Wow. I don't remember the speech at all. I, I mean, and, and that sucks, you know, I dreamed of that moment for so long, but I just wanted to be seen. You know what I mean? Of course. Like I crave that attention and I wanted people to accept me and, and didn't realize at the time that I already was accepted, but I, I just, I, I don't know. And, and after, after I graduated, it really went downhill. Um, I could have went to Chapel Hill, which was my dream school, but I chose to stay at home, you know, mm. cause I was closer to my drugs. Oh, yeah. I wasn't about to move nowhere cause mm. I needed my dealers. And <laughs> then, uh, ended up dropping out my, I didn't even finish my first semester because I didn't want to get up anymore. If I was pill sick and go to class and then have to be in class all day and then, then try to find my fix. So I just waited tables and, lied to my parents for a long time and then when i finally told them like man i was just i set these i set such high expectations for myself you know and i i felt like i disappointed them so much because i you know i was voted most likely to succeed Mm -hmm. and here i was messing up and so after i dropped out um you know, I started, um, finally got fired from a job, you know, cause I started stealing out of the register and trying to not only provide for me, but provide for the guy that I was with. And, you know, it's led me to stealing and trying to get a fix for all of us. And then, um, whenever I got fired, I just started stealing. Like you said, Brooke, you know, I started stealing from stores. Dude, I was boosting. It was nuts. Like, I was taking. You were getting good at it. I was boosting, like, 30 cases of beer out of Walmart at a time. Like, I would load up the car, and I'd push three carts out. And What? Yeah, it was insane. It it caught me some felony charges now. (laughs) But uh, felony, that means it had to be worth more than 10 grand. Right. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, they let it be. I did it for like a month straight. Oh. I do not know why I didn't get arrested sooner, but they let it build up. They let up, it just accumulate. Uh oh. -uh. Yeah. They yeah. watched you each time and said, we'll wait till she steals enough. Like they didn't stop I you? Know. I don't know if they just watched me, but to let it build up that much in the video footage. But Ooh. yeah. Wow. So that was crazy. And then, then of course, you know, um, I'm Native American, and so we get a lot of per capita and from our casino. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing about it is, like, they go until you're 18 and you graduate, it's it's building in a trust fund. And so when you turn 18, you get – well, back now they do increments, but back then they just gave it to us in one big lump sum. Yep. I didn't know what to do with that kind yep. of money at freaking 18 years old, let alone being addicted to drugs, you know. So I turned around $78,000 blue on freaking drugs. I was buying whole scripts at a time, selling them, thinking I could flip it, but that never works, you know mm. what I mean? Yep. <laughs> and so – um. When I ran out of money, you know, I just started, I mean, like I said, stealing, going, and uh, finally I started going to jail, and that was not good for me, because it was like every time I went to jail, it got worse. I'd meet somebody in jail that had the hookup, or, you know, they were doing dope, they were doing meth, and so that's when I ended up, like, after a numerous times i've been in jail in every surrounding county around here and whenever i finally got introduced to meth i got out one time and i was like it was over it down like i you i thought it was bad then it just downhill spiraled out of control and um that's when i realized like i could really make a lot of money off of everyone else and you know manipulating people and it just kept getting worse. And but, but were you really um, able to to make a lot of money? Because like any good drug dealer doesn't do the drugs. Yeah. Well, I wasn't. I mean, I, I was able to always have money, not make a lot. Because you're right. You know, I was always like, I'm going to make a lot of money and get me a car. But the car never, the ever car came. Never yeah, came. I was a yeah. terrible <laughs> drug dealer. I did not know how to figure that out. I did no, everything. No. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's why I ended up, you know, that's why I have a metal rod in my leg. So back in 2016, I stole somebody's car. And this is a significant part of my story that I really don't get to, to share that much. But I stole somebody's car. They showed up to retrieve the car back. And my rising, it was like, you're not getting this car back, which I don't know. So I jumped in the car, flew down the road hit black ice, got slung into a tree. I broke both the bones in my lower left leg, um, fractured my hip and fractured um, my L1 in my lower back. And um, man, they had to do emergency surgery on me, put a metal rod in my leg. I went through tell all them about, that by myself. Tell them about you not wanting to go to the hospital. <laughs> oh yeah, that was insane. Like, I literally, I had, I had warrants on me. Right. And so I told him, I was like, I, I went back to my, okay. So this, I'm I literally, <laughs> the girl that set me up, she helped drag me from the car, put me in her van. And I had like, I told, I was like, if you take me away from this scene, this accident scene, I'm going to give you some, I'll pay you some dope. 
And so she takes me back to where they, the whole thing started so I could, you know, be loyal to my friends. And I was like, we got to get out of here. The cops are coming and they're probably going to come here. And they get in and they're like, what is going on? And I mean, there's blood everywhere. And I, I told them, I was like, they were like, Dude, Caitlin, you got to go to the hospital. And I was like, I'm not going to the hospital. I'll go to jail. Like I just freaking was flying down the road, stole somebody's car. And I'm probably have warrants on me. I'm not going. And I, I told him, I was like, if I'm going to the hospital, you're taking me to Georgia. And I live in North Carolina. It's just <laughs> the madness, the madness of it. You know, like it yeah. makes no sense. But it seemed to make so perfect finally, sense back then <laughs> at that moment. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, one of them had some sense and was like, no, you're going to the hospital. We went to the hospital um, in the next town over and yeah they did emergency surgery and I, I went through that by myself it was three days later Damn. i was able to was coherent enough to be able to tell my mom that i was in there and like i was in so much pain that i remember a nurse she i woke up one time i woke up was in a turtle like the hard back brace it looked like a turtle a white turtle shell <laughs> that you velcro on my leg propped up and i was like where am I? And I'd wake up screaming throughout the night in pain. And I remember this, this nurse, she was just bawling. Cause she was like, I'm so sorry, honey. I know you're in pain, but they knew I had heroin in my, well, I was doing heroin by that point. Mm, and okay. so that, that blew up really big here. And so she, she told me, she was like, we know that you have that in your system. So we can't give you anything because we're scared that it'll oh. cause you to overdose. Mm. and so i just went through the pain and wow. even that though even that wasn't enough you know i i got out uh from the hospital as soon as i i knew i was like the first thought that went through my mind was i'm gonna be able to get pills prescribed to me for the rest of my life i'm set that for was life the first thing yeah i was like i'm legal beagle now <laughs> i can just go to the doctor's office and get my own script <laughs> uh, oh gosh yeah. and so now after that literally i was i was i was in a walker i was in a walker and I was, as soon as they taught me how i could get up and down steps i was like i'm out of here i gotta go i know y'all are gonna prescribe me some pills let's move this get this bus rolling you know and after that i went to prison um i got indicted for trafficking mm. um the stuff that i had on me um they had it on the jail premises so i ended up having to do some prison time was that from the accident that the, the um stuff you had on you when no you, oh, okay different no time. this was after. yeah this was after that um probably about probably about six yeah it was probably about six months after that five or six months because and the reason i because i was still limping in prison i remember there's this song it's so dumb i was like <laughs> It was something stupid. I would say like, oh, that's not, that's my, my, that's not a lit. That's my gun walk. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> I thought I was a thug. I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. 
It was. I so mean, you kind of were a thug at the time, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were walking or limping the walk. <laughs> I thought I thought I was, but yeah. So I went to prison. Um, the thing, and you know what? I can honestly say, when I went to prison that time, um, I only caught a couple. I caught one person, and that's pro that that really I would say was my downfall because. All they talked to me about was, you know, was the struggle, the mud, telling me about what was going on out there, giving me the, you know, stuff I didn't need to hear. Um, and I mean, my mom, she was always there for me. She was always supporting me, always there trying to help however she could. And um, I told her, I was like, mom, I, I really want to. I want to do it this time. And she'd heard it. She'd heard it over and over. Every time I, I mean, every time I went to jail, that was always, she's the one that was always there. And, uh, and she never gave up on me, you know, never. And I stayed at her house maybe two days and then I took off and, and then it just happened so fast. You know, I was on parole and I knew like, I knew when I left, I, I just automatically was like, I threw everything away. So sc screw it. I'm just going to keep messing up, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, it happened so fast. I had an old warrant in my hometown. And so, <clears throat> um, I got arrested. Didn't call my mom. Cause she, I was like, she's going to kill me. <laughs> and, uh, my parole officer put me back on parole and, uh, I started selling drugs again. And like I said, I just started doing heroin during that time because that's what everybody was doing. They weren't doing pills anymore when I got out of prison, you know, and it got really scary. You know, I was, I don't, I can't tell you how many times I overdosed, but right there at the end, the last time I went to jail, two days before I went to jail, the last time I overdosed twice in one day. Wow. I overdosed that morning. I woke up in a bathtub and my friend, he was crying. He's like, please, everybody called me red back then. He's like, please red, please don't do this anymore. Like promise me you're not going to do this anymore. And the first thing I'm checking is like, are my drugs there? You know? Yeah. And I, I was like, it did. It scared me. And I was like, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it. And then after I calmed down and, you know, probably later that night, I was like, started hurting. And I was like, I'm not about to withdraw. And I remember, and I was shooting up and I remember literally I was crying while I was doing it because I knew like, I, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I just don't have the power in me not to like, I know what it feels like to hurt. I know what it feels like to withdraw. And I, I don't want to, to go down that road. And, um, that was my, I really, that last time, like that saved me. Um, when I went, I went to court 10 minutes late and they set my bond way too high and i was like well i'm not getting out this time and then they sentenced me and so i i done my time and then got out on on house arrest and that time though 
it was wild because the same girl that I was talking to in prison, she got out and was in drug court. And so when I talked to her this time, all she was talking to me was about going to meetings, going, you know, she talked to me about going to her family and just how good life was, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, gosh, I freaking want that so bad. And I want it. I've been wanting it for years and years. I just never heard anybody that I was surrounded with want the same thing. And for the first time in my life, I, you know, I really believe that God works through people, you know, and I think that, you know, he placed her in my life for that reason, because I couldn't do it for my mom. You know, I couldn't do it for my dad. I couldn't do it for my nephews, my sisters. I, I couldn't even do it for myself at that time. But for some reason, she wrote me while I was in jail and she asked me, she was like, Red, will you promise me, please make this promise to me that you're not going to use. And that's the first time I ever had anybody that I used ask me to do that. And, you know, I was like, this loyalty was my thing you know mm -hmm. like that's big when you're in the game like and i was like you know what i'm i promise you and i'm not gonna break that promise and when i got out she's the one that was right there and i started going to church with her and her family and it's life just made sense you know mm. and so yeah that's my story i think i how long ago was that bit. So when, when, so that, that was in, uh, the last time I used was February 8th of 2017. So I got out May of 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a good four years. Uh, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah, man. And man, it's so wild because like, just to hear that four years, six years, eight years, you know what I mean? Like, yep. it's like, what? I can't even wrap my head around that because at one time, I literally feared living more than I feared dying. I'm so serious. Like, yeah. I really thought that I was, that's what my life had become, that there was no way I was going to be able to get out of this. I just threw everything away and, and I didn't care. And I really thought that I was going to die to using drugs. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just, just to, I reflect so much guys, especially during my trainings and stuff. Like I'll be on a long bike ride, especially riding through my hometown. And I'll just, I'll be crying and ain't pedaling. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe the person that I've transformed into. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's wild. Um, it's been, especially like since COVID and stuff, we haven't really shared our stories a whole lot. And Lord. so now just being able to, to do it, it's like, I would be going down the road or something and I'll, I'll have a memory and I'm just like, that was insane. Like <laughs> I can't believe I'm even in a place to, to see past that and think about it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. You said, um, you said that you didn't know, like you didn't want to live. And that just kind of reminded me of 
when I got to that place, it was when I got sober. It was my first year of sobriety that like I had those feelings like you just said. Like I don't like this is life. This is this is it. Like this is how I get to feel. This is what my emotions and my moods and like I was flat. I was completely flat. I couldn't someone could have walked up and handed me like a winning lottery ticket into my three or four months sober. And I would have been like, nah. you know, like <laughs> yeah. you, I just I, I couldn't be sad. I couldn't be mad. I couldn't be happy. And that's where I was at. Like what you just said, like I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I was sober. And yeah, that's just funny. That, yeah. that was no, funny. it's so tough. It's leaving that lifestyle. And it's, you know, you get so used and comfortable in the cake, excuse me, sorry, in the chaos. And then, mm -hmm. and then it's like, what the heck now? This is what, you know, yeah, this, this is, is it. Boring. This, is, yeah. this is plain. Now. This is uneventful. This is not yeah, at all yeah. what you got used to with the adrenaline yeah. and all the craziness. And yeah. Plus a lot of those, especially like the Xanax, Klonopin, all of them mess up your brain. Right. But like a lot of those, man, I was having post-acute withdrawal. Like it would hit me like five or six months later. I bet. And I would just have, oh, it was so crazy. And my mind was so destroyed. Like panic attacks, anxiety, just like, I mean, it was freaking hard. Were you working out yeah. at all in your first, when you guys first got sober was working out or physical activity? Yeah. That's my answer to what she just said. No way. No. Parking out. <laughs> Hell no. Parking out yeah. in the restaurant. Working yeah. out, eating that burrito. <laughs> Dude, that's like, I was smoking cigarettes still. Yep. Like chain yes. smoking cigarettes. I was eating trash food. I was probably the first whole year. And my husband was super active. And he started running ultra marathons. And he's like, he knew I wasn't feeling good. He's like, you need to try running. <laughs> so one day we went out to this place by us called the Great Dismal Swamp and we ran two miles and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> like, I it, we ran so slow and I was like, this is going to kill me. And then from there, I joined a gym. I quit smoking and, you know, what about, what about you, Kaylin? So I told you guys about my leg and... Yeah. Um, so for the longest time I used to say, oh gosh, I used to say, uh, I used to really think like it was in my head. Like I was handicapped, you yeah. know? And then I started saying like, oh, I'm not handicapped. I'm handicapable. And, but really I wasn't <laughs> doing anything, you know, like that was my thing going to me and smoking cigarettes. I'd say, oh, I quit doing drugs. You're not going to take my cigarettes away. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Drinking awful energy drinks and just eating like you said, trash, junk. And, and I used my leg. I did. I used it as a crutch. You know, I didn't want to do anything active. Heck, I probably last time I ever done anything active was in high school, yeah. you know, up until I quit playing basketball and playing sports. That's the truth. Cause I was not a runner. I didn't run from the cops. If you were going to arrest me, you were going to get me. <laughs> and it's just like, um caleb he i always okay i blew up i gained a lot of weight a lot of weight and the last 
the last time I stepped on a scale, I was like at 203 pounds. And I was like, I never have been that big. And I was like, what the heck? And so I was was in that shame again. And I was like, hate it looking at myself in the mirror again. And and like you said, I was like, this is what I got clean for. (laughs) And I just, um, Caleb, he would ask me like he, and he's so, gosh, try being married to that man. <laughs> but he, he <laughs> looking at him. and he'll like put things in perspective for you. And I had to go, like I'd always in my group therapies, my SAT, like my substance abuse treatment classes, stuff like, you know, they're, they're big on setting goals. Well, we set them, but I really never took initiative to do anything about them. And so he finally went one day, he's like, put a number on it. How much weight are you wanting to use? Cause we were in group together before we was ever together. Uh-huh. I really didn't even like, I did not like him in active addiction. I'll just go ahead and say that. He like, said the <laughs> same thing, which, and that just makes me so happy knowing that you both said that he was like, dude, she did not like me, but I kept trying, you know, I did not. I was like, look, He's one of those ones like you're, you tell the person, you're like, leave them. You just come. <laughs> you just come pick up. Don't bring him. But he's persistent. Oh, I'll shit. tell you that. He uh, he encouraged me. And finally, I was like, you know what? You're right. I keep saying I want to lose weight, but I ain't doing a dang thing about it. And so the first time I went to the gym and um, got on a treadmill, I did half a mile and I, I called him and I was like, guess what I just done? <laughs> and then yeah. I went and ate Mexican right after that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But <laughs> it took a little while before I finally started, you know, and he, he would, he'd encourage me. He'd be like, well, you know, you done, you done three miles. So why don't you try six, six, God, just be happy. I done three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but now I freaking love it. I feel so much better. And I, I lost 50 pounds. And after I lost the 50 pounds, I was like, there's something more to this, you know? So active or being active is a huge, huge part of my recovery. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I think I, and, and yeah. I think a lot of us got sober in a similar manner where uh, physical health, I mean, just being sober was good enough. And uh, unfortunately for women, like, you know, for myself, I was a meth user. So getting sober meant putting on that weight. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, with, with our modality, with, that's the, why we put exercise and nutrition as a cornerstone to jumpstart that good feeling instead of going through these years of like struggling to feel good and just get them feeling good right away with exercise and nutrition. So I love hearing that that was kind of a, a turning point for both of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I want to change that so much. Like how when people are like, like people make, make it okay they'll be like oh well you need to put the weight on uh, i would uh, say yeah. you know get to a healthy point but you don't need to get to where you're obese you know yeah. unhealthy you know right and, or, and i hear that all the time and i'm like don't tell them that right well <laughs> and then they'll say you got to be kind to yourself love yourself for who you are but it's like but that's not healthy and you're asking me to love something that's not healthy for me, mm-hmm. body or mind, there is self-love there, but yeah, it's gotta, you gotta feel good about it too. I mean, you know, we're women after all, we look in the mirror, you know, men feel the same way, I'm sure, but it's, uh, there's gotta be, you know, self-esteem built in, which gives the confidence, which gives the the good feelings. Absolutely. 
that's that's huge and i i found myself when i got out i did 90 and 90 at na and the accountability was so helpful for me but i started noticing and the rooms are different everywhere so i'm not dogging on the rooms but in the the area i was in in the city i was in the rooms was this click of recovering people that were all staying sober for long periods of time but they they lived in the rooms and like everything they did revolved around na and they thought everyone should be like that so like when i started working full-time and i started going to the gym and i missed a few meetings a week because i was moving on they like kind of almost ousted me they were like you're really slipping you better be careful yep and i'm like hold up like you're no offense, but you're really fat and you're bringing your McDonald's to your meeting. And like you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's true. What, I, I mean, like, and, and I'm here like starting to work an awesome full-time job, the first stable job I've had in years. And I'm hitting the gym before and after. And yeah, I, I definitely, that was hard for me because the rooms helped me get sober, but then I outgrew my NA group. Yeah. Yep. Um, because they did not value nutrition. Um, they didn't value any of that. They just liked NA in the yeah. books. Right. Yeah. That's that's such a cool point you bring up too, because I think a lot of people like, especially in the rooms, right? I, I got sober. Well, okay. I grew, when I first started getting sober, it was AANA. So that's kind of like where my first introduction to getting sober even uh, started was just the rooms, right? So I definitely have been to a lot of AA meetings and NA meetings. It, that, that's besides the point. My point that I was going to make though, was in, in the rooms, it's kind of can be this like projection, like however they got sober is how you need to do it. And there's Uh no other way. And, it works. Like you said, it worked for you. It worked for me at certain points, but the next step does, isn't really talked about sometimes like the moving forward. What does that look like? And so hearing you say that is so cool. Cause I, I know a lot of people that experience that where when you get done with the steps, what do you do? Oh, you do them again and you do them again. And it's absolutely so that, that can be unhelpful for people too. So I like that you brought that up cause I felt the same way go through the yeah. steps and they just say, go through it again. Yeah. Don't touch that living sober book yet. You're not ready for that. Yeah. You know, don't do this. You, like you said, <laughs> they would just be like, go through the steps again. And no? create almost a new codependency. You know, if you, if you don't come back to this group, you're not going to stay sober. If you don't come to a meeting, Absolutely. you can't be clean. Like, and right. any sign of you like trying to move on or, or, or improve is like, no, <laughs> come, come mm-hmm. back. You can't do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That happened to me too. I had somebody pull me aside one time and was like, I think I went for, uh, I went back for like my, a year or went back to get a chip. There we go. And I hadn't been coming and, and they pulled me aside at the end and was like, you know, you really need to be coming. You're going to, you're going to, I've, I think he said he was like, I've never seen anybody like Lee or stop coming and be successful and i was just like how like how are you gonna take my inventory first yeah <laughs> like, or like come uh, at you I, on I, your one year sober <laughs> i understand trying to like look out for people and whatnot but it i just think 
that I, I agree that's I think that there are different outlets for everybody. I mean, and, and like like you guys, you know, I the rooms really did help me. I, I needed that in the beginning, mm. but seasons change. You know, there's a time for everything. And, and like you said, you out, start to outgrow things. And so, I mean, on move on to, to more stuff. Okay, so speaking of more stuff, what does recovery look like for you guys now? This, these many years later, what are you guys? What are you guys doing to maintain your sobriety or enhance it or just be you? You want to go first? You want me to go first? <laughs> what am I not doing? No, just oh, <laughs> that's damn. a great answer. Oh man, doing everything. I'll just be quiet. I'll be honest. It's it's a whirlwind, and I mean. It's just anywhere that I can be that is recovery oriented, you know, that's where I want to be. And I, I love, I mean, my job, I'm a peer support specialist, um, at, uh, our recovery center, our local recovery center. So each and every day I'm going out trying to help others navigate their recovery or even engage in recovery you know yeah so do a lot of outreach work and and that always keeps me humble that always holds me accountable um you know i'm always putting myself out there trying to be an inspiration to somebody you know because i i i really like to help people um we meet well me and caleb we're trying to open up not trying i'm trying to quit i'm yes. going to stop saying try and can't <laughs> There we go. I am going to words create worlds. I'm going to use more powerful words. Um, we are opening yes. a men's transitional home. Uh, we have a nonprofit called Res Hope Recovery and Consulting. We have our podcast. So um, constantly, you know, staying active. I'm constantly, you know, well, uh, I do the best that I can with trying to um reach out to my support people and whatnot like that. Uh, faith, faith and fitness, huge, huge parts of my recovery. Um, and, and it's like, you know, Brooke, when you said, when you first got into recovery, the first few months, it was really hard because you were like, well, what the heck do I do now? You know right. what I mean? And, and that's the thing, like, I'm always trying to tell people is like, your recovery can literally look like anything that you want it to. You have the opportunity to make your life into whatever you want. And man, we, and you guys do too, bro. You know, y'all are doing some amazing things and we're just constantly trying, you know, um, doing just the unimaginable. Like I never thought that I'd be training for an Iron Man. Is that what you're never doing? You're that... training for an Iron Man? Yeah. I've... That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, Caleb. No. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's very uh well and I, I'm I'm thankful for it, you know, like he's seen that I love to do something. We done a sprint triathlon on our honeymoon and I loved it. You know, I I love ultra running. I love to challenge myself and overcome adversity, but at the same time, like I love triathlons because I like the transitions of it. And he was like, encourages me. It kind of like really like pushes me to, to sign up for these, this, 
I signed up for Ironman Chattanooga, which I'm training for. I'm going to do that in September. Wow. And I've just like, it's so wild. I was telling him that the other day, like just the new confidence that I have in myself, because I know that like I'm putting in the work, yep. like I'm putting in the work in my recovery. I'm putting in the work in my training. I'm putting in the work at work, you know, and I'm just like, as hard as I went using drugs, you know, I, I put that same effort into what I'm doing in my recovery and what I'm training for now. And I mean, we, we, Ran to Oklahoma, bike the Pacific Coast Highway, just doing, <laughs> meeting Chad Ryan and Brute. Like, what the heck is even happening? <laughs> like, it just blows my mind. But it's like, we don't settle, you know? Yep. Amen. I just can't do it. I love it. Can't settle. I love that. So before we get Brooke's uh, sobriety, I just have one question that I'm dying, dying to know, and I want to make sure I ask it. When did you finally start liking Caleb? Like, what happened? When did that transition <laughs> occur? <laughs> was it flowers? Was it a song? Was it the fitness? Like, Boom. how did he finally hook you? <laughs> he just walked in the door, so I can't be telling it. No, I'm just kidding. I should have asked it earlier. I don't even really like him now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love him. Um, okay. I'll tell y'all about the first time we hung out. Oh my gosh. So, and I, cause he, I, I kept him at a distance because, you know, he has his own stuff he's healing from <laughs> and he's always a ladies man. And, uh, I didn't want to be one of those girls, you know? Oh yeah. And, um, so I, I did the same card, Brooke. I did the play hard to get kind of thing. And, um, <laughs> I just literally thought that he was just trying to get in my pants for one. And I, I just like, no, nah. well, when I finally went down there, he kept saying, just come watch a movie with me, come watch a movie with me. And we talk about this, like when we share with the kids that when we do our speaking in schools and that's funny, they'll always be like, well, what movie did y'all watch? And he never, neither one of us don't remember. And they're like, yeah, sure. You watched a movie, but no, he really <laughs> was like, he was, he was a straight up that's gentleman. Awesome. And I mean, <laughs> he freaking read to me. I get down there. He sit there. He pulls his two little recliner things together, and he grabs a magazine. He's like, "You care if uh, um, we read for a minute before we watch the movie?" And he hands it to me, and it's on the front of it says, "The Science of Addiction." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I was like, "That's when I knew." I was like, "Yeah, we've been placed in each other's lives for a reason." But no, we just we just hit it off and I, you know, started, I really genuinely wanted to support him and the things that he was doing, because like, I could see like he had that same desire that I did. And, um, so yeah, I just, I fell, I fell for it. <laughs> I you fell, fell for it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a good thing to fall yeah, for, for sure. you know, you could have done a oh, lot worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's pretty. He's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and Brooke, you, you know, from the time you met Chad, you knew he was the one. So, so I, I did bit of a different story yeah. there. <laughs> I did. We both did. Like we both, we both knew. We both were just being really stubborn because we both are stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goes with the territory. <laughs> it really does. 
I haven't yeah. met someone with addiction issues that wasn't stubborn. Like, I don't think Absolutely. it exists. Like, I think you have to be stubborn to become addicted to anything. Like, it's just comes and, with the territory. And special. Like, when I was in rehab and detox, I was like, these people are all, like, artistic and intelligent. And, like, Unique. they're all just really special and different. And I told Chad that that was one of the first things I told him. Cause I felt like such a dirt bag yeah. for where I was at. And then I saw these people around me and I was like, these people aren't dirt bags. Right. Like these are cool people. And like, it made me feel good. I was like, well, maybe I'm cool too. I've just made some, <laughs> maybe I'm special too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. like one of our main purposes and goals is just to take the stigma off of addicts. Yeah. Like we're normal people in fact sometimes better than normal people and just to change the world's viewpoint on what they perceive drug addiction or alcoholism looks like absolutely yeah so what do you what is yours your, what does your recovery look like these days brooke so i like just to give y'all a little backstory i got sober after i made it out of that year and i stopped smoking and i started working out i had an awesome gym i started running i was like i was on a little plateau and yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, this life is going to be amazing. This is so great. I started going to Regent University on a scholarship. I was going to go back to college because I, I did the same thing Caitlin did. I like I started college, but I kept having withdrawals. So I quit. I, I tried twice. And um, so I was just, man, I would walk on that college in the morning and just be so filled with gratitude. I would almost want to cry. I was just like, how did I get here? I was I was I think a year sober. How did I get here? I'm so lucky, my husband. And then one day I was driving to school and I had a panic attack on a bridge. And the panic attack, I thought I was dying. I stopped the car and I told Chad, you have to come get me. I might call an ambulance. I'm having a heart attack. And that started this really crazy part of my life that was like six months where I had multiple panic attacks a day. And I ended up with panic disorder where I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to be alone. I thought I was going to die. And it pulled me out of school. My whole life pretty much stopped. Um, and I used running and stuff to mitigate, but I couldn't, I couldn't gain control. And that was kind of my wake up call of like, okay, you can run, you can work out, you can be fit. You could, I was eating really healthy. I was using a lot of herbs um, and supplements, but like there was some stuff way down there oh yeah that was gonna rear its ugly head no matter how far i ran no matter how much kale i ate like <laughs> it was it was coming for me you know and like that was really hard for me because i was like holy crap i've been through so much and i just want like god i'm doing what i'm doing the right things like why are you doing this to me you know and so that that kind of little period early in my sobriety was good because it taught me that like, I am an anxious person. I have a lot of mood issues. My whole family does, but yeah, just that, that, that all of those things became a realization. And I was like, if you're going to live a good life sober, you're going to have to be intentional about everything. Like, you're not going to be able to be one of those people who can just coast, you know, like do okay and coast. Like, you're going to have to be on top of your diet. You're going to have to go to therapy. 
you're going to have to be constantly checking with yourself and seeking. And even now, six years, almost six years sober, I guess you guys told me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just this constant like ebb and flow, like my life and my mood and my environment can stay pretty consistent, but it's just something about me that just I ebb and flow and like yeah. I have these really good times and then I have these really hard times and so to tell you guys that like sobriety looks like for me managing that and I'm still learning how to manage those things um and it I do it the same thing just that's what I'm trying to balance is food relationships is a big one for me right now that I'm still not good at that I'm trying to figure out like what's what's the best thing for me you know it's just a good example but yeah just just trying to find a good balance with all of the, i have all the healthy helpful good stuff in my life and i'm all i'm working on all of it i just can't figure out what's more important and what i need more of what i need less of and does that make sense totally i mean it's a it's a lifelong journey you know trying to figure this yeah. stuff out i i don't know you know that i've figured it out at this point yeah I, it's a constant thing and and unpredictable things will happen and you react in different ways and yeah i believe yeah. it is a lifelong journey yeah and uh, so I think that's where self-acceptance comes in and self-love. It's like, uh, maybe you didn't handle that the best, but you did the best you could. So it's okay. Yeah. And God's grace yeah. too, right? Caitlin? Yeah. Caitlin, is that what yeah. you're going to say? Yeah. Well, I was, I mean, I think it's important to, that you said that though, for, you know, because it's like, I think a lot of times when you come into recovery, you're like, when, when is, I'm, when am I at the end or when do I have it figured out? You know what I mean? But you don't like, it never comes. I mean, four, four <clears throat> years in and you know, I, I got kind of complacent and, um, I same, same issue. Like I had a lot of stuff start coming back up, um, anxiety. And like you said, I mean, I was working out doing CrossFit, still training, doing all the wild ultras that we do. And, but it wasn't enough, you know, yeah. and, and I, I started my therapy back and nice. it's been really helpful. And it, it just, I think it's important for listeners to, to recognize that and to know that like, it's okay, you know, if, if to still be figuring things out because, you know, it's just a lifelong journey. And, and to, I mean, because like some of that stuff, go, it goes, I mean, this, we're talking years and years, like when, I mean, I just turned 30 this year. And so some of this stuff has been developing when I, in my childhood, you know, like the shame. And I mean, that's always been my biggest thing was the shame was breaking that. And so like, I'm, I, like you said, I have to be intentional about that, you know, like reading books and getting yep. into the word and just, I mean, I've really been learning a lot about shame this past year and so it's it's really been helping me more to understand i mean all of it marriage you know learning how to communicate that's part of recovery <laughs> unlearning things that we picked up from our family and amen to that <laughs> statement <laughs> like, so i mean it, it's it's a lifelong process and you definitely I mean, I, you know, it makes me think of 
when you said earlier, Brooke, you were like, um, well, you said the first few months you was like, well, what the heck, what is this it? And, um, we, we were listening to another podcast the other day and, and it's just really stuck with me. This is so powerful. And I've even been talking about it to the peers that I work with, but just how, you know, they said like, choose your heart. And I had this whole list. I, I can't recite the whole list, yeah. but they were like, you know, choose your heart. Like working out is hard. Not doing anything is hard. Being unhealthy is hard. You know, you get uh, diabetes, obesity, you know, you gain weight, but working or uh, being healthy is hard, you know, make being disciplined, making mm -hmm. good eating choices, being, you know, um, putting in the effort. That's hard being in recovery can be hard because you're having to go through these emotions and learning mm. how to deal with them and better coping skills like and and or being in addiction is hard you know mm. it's just like choose your heart and man i was just like yeah so love that yeah i i yeah it's stuck with me for sure I love that. And I've, I've found like through last year, you know, I've been in recovery like really long time, but, um, you know, going through the pandemic, there was a lot of weird things. And I started listening to more podcasts and books and self-help. And I really found when it starts getting comfortable, you need to find things to make you feel uncomfortable. And then I, I have found so much joy in finding uncomfortableness it's it's like for me that's like a whole new world because i think we get used to avoiding pain or feelings or discomfort or you know inconveniences and so now i seek out like things that are going to put me out of my comfort zone and really challenge myself in those ways and really uh -huh. you know needing that it's kind of like that adrenaline from back in the old days it's 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 getting there and i'm sure you guys get that with like these ultra marathons and all these different things that you guys do as well Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's a huge part of it. I remember in NA, they were like, when I first started going to the gym, not I keep dogging on them. I don't mean to dog on them. They <laughs> but I just, this, like you said, this stuck with me. He said, um, if you go to the gym right now, you could get addicted to working out. Be careful. <laughs> Be and careful. I was like, and oh, let me just say, this is a really fat guy in a wheelchair. So like, <laughs> you know, like, no, I mean, so I don't know. He wasn't, no. Okay. Hold on. He was, I'm not making fun of handicapped people. He was in the wheelchair because he was overweight. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> You're just, just painting the picture. Uh, yeah. I don't want the lash back from that. Um, but I remember like being scared, like, wow, I really do like working out and it yeah. does make me feel good. And I do rely on it. And you know what? To this day, if I don't get my workout in, I am mean. Yeah. I'm mean. I'm grumpy. <laughs> I'm anxious. And like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like, it's just true I'm at this point. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you say, Dal? It's just, it's just true at that point. You know, that's just how yeah. you are. It is what it is. There's yeah. a lot yeah. worse things that you could be addicted to. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's part of what we tell people like with CrossFit. It's like, it's very addictive, but we're all very used to that. So it's also very comfortable and comforting, you know, when you become addicted to it. Yes. I'm addicted to CrossFit. Yeah. I admit it. Me too. I'm addicted to CrossFit. <laughs> we just started. That's not why we're all on the show, but we do share that for sure. Yes. Oh my God. I, I would yeah. I would so love to do a wad with you ladies. That would be that would be the best of the best. 
We should <laughs> do that. Yeah. As yeah. hot as it is here right now, y'all buy me a plane ticket. I'm there. Okay, deal. I'll I'm bring there. you guys you said, out here. <laughs> you said 50 degrees? Is that what yes. you said? I mean, right now it's a, it's about 70. It's kind of warm. I'll pull up. Oh the, my the, gosh! I'm hey, pulling up the weather right now. Said, Let's oh, do it. <laughs> I was I was off. I'm sorry. Oh, it, you can't see it, but it's 63 right right now. Get the what? I'm sweating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stand y'all. <laughs> no doubt. It's a, it's a it's nice place to be. It's ridiculous here. Yeah. The low is 54 and the high is 65. It's just a 10 degree swings in the whole, in the next 24 hours. Hey, I've been tempted to just quit my job here lately. So <laughs> <laughs> go move to Northern California. Yes. Come out Let here. I will say that. When we buy the Pacific Coast Highway, that was freaking tough, and we were not prepared for that. I tell you what, Caleb was like, we're going to California. So, like, I brought well, – I don't even know why I brought a sweater, honestly, because it was during <laughs> the summertime. And all I brought was short shorts and, you know, tank tops. And I wore that sweater all the way from the Canadian border all the way halfway through freaking California. That one yeah. sweater because it was – freaking cold I bet. Oh, yeah. that fog and rolls windy. in and it's like it cools everything off like 20 degrees like that <laughs> it was insane yes i mean that's hilarious we'll have clients that come even myself when i came to elevate to get sober myself i'm like dude i'm going to california i'm be on the beach and that was not the case <laughs> it was like 50 degrees tops yeah in winter time and it was, I was miserable. I brought all the wrong clothes. I brought flip-flops, shorts, not many. I didn't have much to bring, but I did bring my pair of sandals and my shorts and my tank top and never wore it. I had one sweater I wore for like 90 days of treatment. <laughs> Looked like a bum. That is great. Yeah. These are good problems to have Please compared it. to what you guys are dealing with, with, you know, humidity and heat and all the, I mean, I can imagine how hard it is to work out in, in that kind of environment. It's dangerous. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. It's so, definitely what? challenging. Yeah. If you want to get uncomfortable, come up. <laughs> Come train out here. Come do an ultra out here. Oh, man. Now I've been challenged. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that, especially yeah. after hearing what Brooke was talking about, you know, uh, how, how they've had somebody out there training and, and literally just went through massive heat exhaustion and disorientation and sickness. That's not not that doesn't sound fun. That yeah, must be no. the reason why Chad what doesn't do his thing um, during the summertime. It's just physically not safe to do so. I don't, he does fine with the heat, Yeah, but I love the cold and he is like a, like a naked cat. Like he just walks around all the time and he's always cold and he's shaking and he's just like a, I mean, I mean, he has like no body fat. So he's pitiful. Exactly. Yeah. But he's pitiful. But then I can't like, I can't run in this heat. I can bike in it, but I can't run in it. Cause I'll get, I'll start getting chills and I'll get weird and I just have to. Oh. it's rough it is pretty rough but yeah. it will treat yeah, if you do train during the summertime though you'll be faster in the fall oh is that right so yeah. some benefit to it yeah yeah it's supposed to help your time go down 
but good to know. listen i have to tell you about the first time i met brooke oh my gosh i swear she probably thought i was like some kind of fan girl no i did not <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yes tell us we uh we had done or we signed up for the georgia jewel and um we'd been listening to chad's podcast for a while now and we anytime we know he's going to be on a podcast we listen to it so we knew about your story brooke and um was following chad well caleb looked on the um the people who had entered in and he was like chad's gonna be there <laughs> So like literally all day we were like trying to look for him and stuff. And we're like, what if we get to meet him? Like we were, we were like the fan girls. <laughs> and then we were coming up the hill and we seen him standing. He was like standing at the back of his truck getting ready. And I was like, or Caleb was like, there he is. I was like, let's go over there. So he like starts recording and he's got it. And I was like, it's like we're meeting Oprah. <laughs> Shut up, man. Don't ever tell Chad that because I will never hear the end of it. Don't ever tell him that. It'll just go like that. <laughs> yes. Oh we get God. up there and Brooke, she's there taking pictures and stuff. And so that's the first time we got to meet. And she's like, you want me to take y'all's picture? And But um, yeah, then after that, they... Um, well, Caleb got to share some of his story along the ultra and, um, Chad invited us to come do a podcast. Well, we were going to do it here, but the signal was too bad. And so Chad was like, you know what, how about you guys just come down to our house and come stay the weekend and we'll do the podcast with you guys. And so that's when we really got to, to know each other better. And I, I'm man, they're the best they are two of the most incredible people that we we know and it's just that's what i mean like just how recovery works you know the gifts of recovery and that's why like we love pushing ourselves and signing up for these races and i mean we never imagined we would do these things but look at the kind of people that we get to meet through through doing it or you know like that's one of the biggest reasons why i love crossfit is because you know I, like that's my family you yeah. know they're so supportive and and they all know my past but they don't care you know they don't judge us because of that and it's just man that's so awesome just the people that you get to meet and the opportunities that you get to have by stepping out your of your comfort zone you know and um man that's just i love the ultra endurance world for sure and i love you guys so it, it's very <laughs> mutual if, if me and caitlin lived close together like i know we would be best buds i'm a hundred percent we would be best buds because it clicked like when they came to visit I was, I don't know, like, we just clicked. The four of us, like, everybody clicked. You know what I mean? And it was just an awesome weekend. Like, say all the feelings are mutual. Yeah. Ah, oh, I love that. Well, if yeah. we ever get out that way, I would love to come see both of you guys. I'm super interested in Caitlin and what you guys are building out there. I offered uh, Caleb um, any help because obviously we know how to set up a rehab and all the ins and outs and all that kind of stuff so if you guys ever need help with that kind of thing would love to help you guys on that 
And then, of course, Brooke, you know, if there's anything you want to collaborate on, we'd love to do that as well. You guys are killing Absolutely. it out there. Thank you. Love it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll... we very well might take you up on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd love to help. Yeah. Any way I can. Yeah, I was I was just going to say, like, I've kind of just been sitting back listening because the things that you guys are saying are just so accurate and so intelligent and honest. And I just really appreciate that. I know there's a lot of people out there that's, you know, kind of like we all pointed to or not we all, but Caitlin and Brooke, you guys kind of pointed to there's been some people in our sobriety past that have given bad advice or pointed out stupid things, right? Like a someone telling us not to work out or chase our goals or whatever it may be. So essentially what I'm saying is I have a lot of gratitude for what you guys said today, but have been saying I did listen to your guys's three of seven podcasts with yours and Caleb's story and, and Brooke and Chad talking about recovery. And it's just, it's accurate and it's honest and it's real and people need that shit. So I just appreciate you guys for doing that. Thanks, man. Yeah. Of course. And, yeah. I think the more Go we ahead. can all talk about it and the more we can get it out there and the more, uh, you know, mediums and, and platforms that we have to do that, maybe the more people that'll want to get sober because they'll realize there's ups, there's downs, but, you know, you stick with it long enough or you put in these successful actions of fitness and, and working hard and staying busy and, and it's not a miserable experience. Like you can actually enjoy sobriety and, and be around amazing people that are like-minded and doing the same things. Just like our whole worlds used to be surrounded with everybody who used. Like I literally thought every person on the planet used because that was my entire world was everybody around me. And then it was like, once I got sober and started getting into healthier groups, I realized that's, that's not the majority and there is super cool people that aren't part of that world mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah it's like the saying show me your friends and i'll show you your future uh -huh. you know it's true that's a good one well do you ladies have any parting uh advice wisdom thoughts or uh anything else you'd like to share with our listeners i would say don't set expectations, set goals and yeah. don't look for the unicorn, like know that. And I'm mainly talking to people that are new in sobriety. Good. Don't look for the unicorn. You know what I mean? S celebrate the small victories. If you have a good day or a good few hours early in sobriety, celebrate that, but don't let that become an expectation, you know, like, I'm kind of one of those people y'all can probably tell I'm more of like a realist than I yeah. am an optimist. So I just, I just, it would have helped me to know more about the lows of sobriety as well as the highs. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Thanks. What I would say to somebody is, well, number one, first and foremost, just to, to realize that you have a purpose, that you're valuable and worthy and that you, I mean, once you start to rediscover who you are and just to, I mean, step into that purpose is such an incredible feeling. I want to encourage people to do that. And that your recovery can look like 
it's your recovery. Like it can look like whatever you want it to. And it doesn't have to be like my recovery. I'm not saying that you have to do what I'm doing or, you know, anything like that. But I do want to encourage people, just like we talked about on here, how we get very uh, narrow minded and think that there's only one way or a certain way to do this. But it's a lifelong process and it's going to and it's it really is a journey and it ebbs and flows and you're going to have your days. But. That's just where, you know, have those supports in place, reach out, do what you got to do. And I just want to really inspire people like to do more, like don't settle. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, I would talk about going to California and doing stuff like that when I was a kid. And, but (laughs) it was almost like when I said it, I never really truly believed that I would do it. But now after living the type of life that I have, like there's no reason why you, why you can't like, just go out there, explore, see the world, travel, say yes. Don't put limits on yourself. Get out there and believe in yourself. Like you can be on the next level. Don't limit yourself to only being here. Like you, there's no reason why you can't be, the people that you're looking up to, you can be that person. So don't ever like set a limit on yourself. You just motivated the crap out of me. Yeah, same. Oh. Let's do this. <laughs> oh, <dang>. oh. <laughs> Seriously. That was a mic drop, hey, dude. That was saying, a mic I'm drop. That was a mic drop. I had like one more question. I'm like, oh, but how do I ask that after that? That was such a great point. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter anymore, Ann. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay, but this one is a fun one. I think you can all appreciate this one. What's your favorite CrossFit movement? When you see it in a workout, you're like, yes. Cleans. You like cleans? Mine's between box jumps and deadlifts. Box jumps? Ew. I know, I haven't heard that one before. It's a hate-love thing. It's a hate-love Nice. (laughs) The Echo Bike. No, I'm just playing. Hell no. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. I I that would have to concur with cleans. I absolutely love power cleans. I will I will definitely say that. I still struggle with squat cleans, even though I know I need to do more of them. But I just love a good power clean, boy. <laughs> yeah, I like hang cleans. I would say too. Um, what is it like the press, but on your. I like doing those. The snatch too. balance, like really or the back press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think my reason for not really enjoying box jumps is just because my leg, oh, like yeah. it jars my leg, you know. But I, I get in there and do them. <laughs> it's crazy. I used to hate burpees. Lit, literally. If Caleb put told me to do burpees, I would complain. Oh, complain. <laughs> but. Now I would rather do burpees before I do that assault or echo bike. Mm-hmm. That's like riding through mud. <laughs> yep. Uh, I've definitely terrible. learned to love burpees as well. I same. I used to hate them. They would tax me so hard cardio wise. Mm-hmm. Like I just cannot keep up. But now I don't mind them. I'm like, eh, burpees, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'm the same. Yeah. Yep. How about you, Dal? Um, it's it's hard. Like I, but what gets me. I won't miss a workout with uh, muscle ups. I'll I'll go just to do those. 
That makes me. Uh, I or, love those. Of course, because he can do them. My favorite too. You know, I can do like five of them. Not. <laughs> well, they always program them with like a couple because most people can't do them or a right. shit ton of them. I'm always just like, hell yeah, let's go do three muscle-ups today, and then we'll just leave. Yeah, whatever. That's insane. <laughs> I know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You can have the muscle-ups. Yeah, we'll yeah. actually have them. I mean, if I Thanks, could do guys. them, they would for sure be my favorite workout, just because it, for me, that is the unicorn. It's like, ah, I've just given up. I'll never get there. I don't even try. I don't even practice. Nope. You could I do think, them. It's all technique. My unicorn... What, yeah, that, Caitlin? I, I, my unicorn is the uh, handstand push-ups. Yeah. I really want to do that. You could do them. I can't, though. <laughs> you definitely yeah, can. I know. I said I can't. I am going to do this one day. <laughs> we just hear this little voice from the background. <laughs> I know. Go on. <laughs> Get so out of awesome. here. Oh. <laughs> uh. Go back it. to the dungeon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you guys so much for being on our show. You have given us so much uh, beautiful insight to your guys' histories as well as amazing takeaways of, of sobriety and what that can look like and, and not look like, but how to work through that and anything. And I am so appreciative of having you guys on the show today. Thank y'all. Thank y'all so this much. This is awesome. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, we I gotta do this again. Here. Yeah, yeah. We could we could talk forever. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll um, definitely plan another one. So thank you guys very much. Thank y'all. Thank you. It was awesome. All right, guys. That's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.